Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Rust Belt Startup. And if you're just joining us, this is a podcast of long-form conversations with entrepreneurs, educators, musicians, and, and today even a, a politician and public servant. Um, but the aim of this podcast is to reconstruct Remarkable. It's trying to get to the bottom of uh, interesting people doing interesting things in unconventional locations. And so this is a, a bit of a different conversation. It's a little bit of a, of a departure uh, for this podcast, but I, but it's a conversation that that honestly I've always wanted to have um, with with someone who's running for office. And uh, so I'm really excited to share with you guys this conversation with Anthony Brindisi, who is running for Congress uh, in our district here. And uh, you know, it's I've always wondered. Uh, why people choose to go into public service or, or run for office, especially in an environment like we're in today that's very toxic and, and divided. And um, and I, I reached out to to Anthony, and he was uh, him and the campaign were, were really gracious to uh, have me in and and let me have that conversation. And so what you're going to hear in in this uh, in the next half hour is we're not going to go deep into policy. I think that you know you can do your own research, and, uh, and when it comes to, to picking apart specific issues, uh, I think the information is out there uh, for for the candidates that are that are running in our district. And instead, what I really wanted to focus on was what it's like to to run for Congress, what it's like to be part of this um, this crazy roller coaster ride that that he is on. You know, we, we talk more in this conversation about well, a little bit of, of his story, how he how he got into politics, uh, and then decided you know to kind of where he where he ran for the the local school board, and then all the way through um, his his congressional race. But we also spend a lot of time talking about um, building consensus and trust. You know, how does he how does he come to decisions on tough calls? How do you how do you form policy? What's his process around that? And, um, and developing thick skin and, and managing disagreements. This is something I've thought that's gotta be just so hard um, for anyone that's, that's doing public service, um, uh, especially now, is how do, you, how do you make the tough calls and how do you work with people who, who sometimes vehemently uh, disagree with you? How, do you? how do you move the ball forward? So we talk about a lot of those things and, and stories from, from, from the campaign trail as well. So I, I hope that this is uh, a little bit of, of a different, of a departure from the kinds of conversations uh, or information that you might hear about a candidate uh, via TV commercials or social media. It was a chance for us to just have a conversation as a couple of people um, to learn a little bit more about uh, Anthony's personality and, uh, and and why he why he's doing this and, and why he does what he does. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Anthony Brindisi. Thanks for, thanks for the time today. I know you've got a ton of stuff going on. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Are you hanging in there? We're hanging in there. I think we have something like 47 days left to go before the election. And yeah. uh Who's counting? <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> Everybody's counting. Um, you know, so one of the things I, I wanted to, I just should preface this, this conversation with is if, if folks want to delve deep into some of the, the, the policy issues and, and the things that, that you stand for, um, you know, I would encourage them to go to the website, follow me on social media. I know I'm going to get a lot of people that are saying, why didn't you ask him about healthcare or right. whatever? I want to know about how you got into this 
this business and kind of kind of felt this calling. And and as I was doing a little bit of homework um, uh, about you in a couple of days ago, was the first thing you ran for was school board. School board was the first thing I ran for. Was that so? What was so first of all? What was the the point in your life where you're like I should run for something? Right. Uh, it's hard to say. I, they say that some people get bit by the political bug, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just in your genes to want to go into public service. Um, my family's never been super political uh, when I was growing up. My, my mom, she passed away when I was four, but she was somewhat political because when she was alive, she was actually the, the head of the Oneida County Women's Democratic Club. Okay. So I think she always had an interest in politics, especially after uh, John F. Kennedy was, was sure, elected president. Sure. I think a lot of folks started to get more interested in politics. Uh, so that's probably what prompted me uh, to really take an interest in public service. And when the school board uh, came around, we, my wife and I, who moved back to Utica, uh, really wanted to take an interest in what was happening in, in our community. The school board, uh, we had children attending mm-hmm. Utica schools, uh, was an interesting way to be able to help give back. I was always concerned during my time growing up that sometimes the school board would be a place where folks would run for a seat, and I wasn't always sure if they had the best interest of the children at mind mm-hmm. when they were running. You know, sometimes they run for whatever reason. Uh, it's not always the interest of the children. And I wanted to be someone on the board who was a parent, who uh, could see things firsthand, uh, and then try and make decisions that really were in the best interest of kids here in the district. And what you learned from that experience? Because that was the, probably the first time you were dealing with, I guess, a constituency, you know? It really opened my eyes uh, to some of the issues that we're facing here in the city of Utica. And really, what I started to become more interested in during my time on the school board and what probably prompted me to want to run for the state assembly uh, was education funding. Mm-hmm. Utica is a city that is a growing population because of our refugee and immigrant community. Uh, we have a lot of needs in the school district. Long term, I've seen the benefits of having refugees and immigrants mm-hmm. in our community. Short term, it does cause pressures on the school district because you have to bring in uh, professionals social workers, you know, resources, resources yeah. teachers who can uh, teach uh, English, those kinds of uh, things. And in a place like Utica, where you have so many tax-exempt properties or you have uh, a declining property tax base, a lot of the funding comes through the state of New York. Most of the funding for the school mm-hmm. district comes through the state of New York. And I felt and I learned during that time period that the state really wasn't keeping up with its commitment to fund schools like Utica, which are high-needs districts that have uh, higher rates of poverty. How long were you on the board? I was on for almost three years. Um, 2011 came around, and that's when Rowan DeStito was uh, nominated to serve in the governor's cabinet, so there became a vacancy in the assembly Mm -hmm. seat here, and that's when I decided to run for the state assembly. And the basis of my campaign was really education funding and making sure that our area gets its fair share from Albany. Um, My eyes became wide open as a representative on the school board, and as I started to see children who would be in classrooms of 30 or more children. I have seen children uh, and have been in homes with tremendous infestations, uh, children who are homeless, children who have parents that are in or out of prison uh, and have to be shuffled around between grandma or grandfather Mm -hmm. and their parents. Uh, I felt that at the very least, if we uh, as a society, if, if we are not giving kids a shot at the home uh, because of their home life, the very least we can do as a government is try and give them a shot when they get to school. So 
my whole goal running for the assembly, and, and we've had successes on this, is trying to bring more funding to places like Utica so we can give kids a chance to become successful adults uh, by providing a good quality education to them. And that's a jump from, so when you, when you go from, when, when I think of school board, I grew up in New York Mills, and my dad, uh, there was a time when my dad was on the New York Mills school board. Okay. And in those, this is now in you know, 90s, I think it was, early, early 90s. Um, I feel like that's kind of like put some lawn signs out, talk to your friends, <laughs> and you maybe go be, you know, probably different in Utica, all right, but in, in something like Mills, it was tiny. And then, so to go from that to, you got to have a small machine to go to the assembly. And so how do you try to train up for that? How do you prepare yourself for that? Do you have a mentor any, or something? I, I don't know if there's any way you can really prepare for that. And I, and I really didn't have a mentor uh, when I decided to run for the assembly. Uh, it's kind of, school board in Utica is probably very similar to New York Mills, maybe on a larger scale. You're still putting the signs out door to door for a school board election and even a state assembly race is the most effective means of communication and there are people today who will still come up to me in grocery stores and say uh, I voted for you because you knocked on my door and mm -hmm. really voters want to meet their representatives or their, their potential representatives uh, so I just felt that we were going to do the best we can uh, put a message out there that I'm going to go to Albany and fight for our fair share of education funding uh, for Utica and all area school districts and knock on as many doors as I could and we knocked on thousands of doors during that assembly race and really got the message out there and were successful. Because that doesn't scale. I mean, the knocking on doors is, that's, you know, that's, that's just, that's time. So that was basically the strategy, go out and knock on some knock doors. Knock on as many doors as you can. Get uh, as many volunteers as you, as you can to go out there and, and knock on doors with you. And as things start to progress, the campaign grows and you have more and more people come on board. Um, and that's helped giving me a good training for this yeah. current thing I'm doing here running for Congress. <laughs> Can you just give me a little bit about, um, you know, you're coming from, your background is law, yes. right? And uh, then you go to Albany and that's got to be a, an insane learning curve. What was what was it like kind of being thrown into that experience and, and what are some of the, the maybe big lessons that you took out of out of that experience or are taking out of that experience and right. and also what are is is there a thing that really worked in the opposite way that you maybe thought that it would work uh, I, I really went into, into it with an open mind, and, and one of the first things that I said when I was elected was, I, I'm not the expert on all these topics, and I want to try and learn a lot more from the people who are experts on education, on healthcare, on other programs that the state is responsible for funding. So I took a lot of time to educate myself on issues before I just went in and started uh, spouting mm -hmm. off a lot of, uh, of, of thoughts and, and things that I wanted to work on because I knew I had some learning to do. The one thing that I, I did learn through my time in the state assembly is really how to build consensus. Uh, you come in with a lot of ideas and you hear elected folks when they're running for office yeah. talk about all the things they're going to do when yeah. they get in office. You're going to jam it through. Right, you're yep. going to jam it through. But when you get there, it's almost kind of like hitting a, a brick wall. Mm -hmm. And if you're not able to find people to work with, uh, you're never going to get anything done. One of the areas that I've tried to concentrate a lot on is reaching into other parts of the state uh, that have uh, districts that are similar to the Utica-Rome area uh, and find like-minded representatives, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, who care about the same things that I care about and try and find ways to work together. The other area that I, I really wanted to, to work on was we always hear about the upstate-downstate divide. Sure. Uh, and it gets played up a lot in the media, but at, at in reality, what, what it is is, you know, people want to do as a, an assembly member or a member of the state senate, you're, you're going to do the best you can for your district. 
Sometimes you may just look within your own borders and not realize that people in other areas have similar concerns and are fighting to do the best they can. So I did a lot of uh, traveling those first couple of years, meeting with other assembly members downstate, going to New York City, actually touring some of those districts. And it builds a level of trust uh, with other members where when you start working on issues together, you have that baseline and you can go forward and advocate together for issues that will help both areas. So I guess to, to jump, to, to dive in the, into that a little bit, um, one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of curious about is you have to make... And, and we'll have to make uh, some tough, take some tough votes, make some tough decisions. How do you personally kind of come to a, a policy? Do you have a methodology or a process that you kind of look at and say, if I approach this issue this way, I feel like I can come to a reasonable, reasonably informed conclusion? I do. I try not to, to react right away to something that I'm confronted with with an issue. I, I try to sit back and really evaluate uh, whatever the concern is and then just talk to folks. Uh, talk to folks on both sides of the issue and learn a lot more about what their concerns are because there's always two sides of a debate. Yeah. And it's important, I think, as a representative to listen to both sides. It's also important to be out there listening to the people you represent. And that's why I've been doing so many town hall meetings through my campaign, but I've always done town hall meetings. Mm -hmm. I've done them all throughout my time in the state assembly because my feeling is that the, the, one of the best qualities that any representative can have is to be a good listener. And if you're not listening to the people that put you in office, that's the quickest way out of office. Mm -hmm. And it's also uh, will lead to worse policy. Um, John McCain, who just passed away, I, I, I always point to him in a statement that he made, which I try to live by. He would always say that when we put a bill up for a vote in Congress, uh, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, how do we get this bill passed with just Republican votes? Or how do we get this bill passed with just Democratic votes? The question should always be, how do we get this bill passed with both Democratic and Republican support? Because he felt, and I feel the same way, at the end of the day, that's going to create a better product for the American people and ultimately more buy-in, uh, which people will accept. So... I think we are well as as you I'm sure experiencing full hand we are very we're in a very reactionary environment right now. Right. Is do you have any sense of, you know, what can, what can what's the best way to empower voters to make better decisions, I guess? I, one of the things I would say is because social media is so so big and you you'll see things on social media and they may generate a reaction right away where you'll want to go out and comment and say something guilty guilty yeah, I, <laughs> I, know, I've like, done it too yeah uh, but I, I think it's important for folks to, to really take a step back when you read something take a step back ask yourself what is the source that I'm seeing here that's reporting this issue is this true? Where can I find more information on this topic than just reacting to the thing you see on social media? I think we're so quick, like you said, to react yeah. on issues without really doing a lot of research. Uh, and, I, and I always tell people, if you can, try to get your news from multiple sources. Yeah. You know, look at the Times and look at the Wall Street Journal. Um, you want to go on TV and you, and you like 24-hour uh, news, try to look at all the channels. Uh, don't just go to one source for your news uh, because you really want to try and take time to educate yourself. We have a tendency in this country to only go to those news sources that reinforce our, already, uh, our, our beliefs that we already have. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's an issue. And you're seeing more and more of that as people try to retreat to their, their sides, whether the left or the right. Uh, it's important to try and get news from as many sources as possible uh, before reacting to something you may see on social media. So can we talk a little bit about kind of the, this, this journey that you're on now, which is, which is running for Congress? Um, 
Why did you want to run for Congress? I mean, I, you know, I, as someone that is a constituent, I feel like, um, you know, personally, you've represented us well in Albany, and and there is a part of me that's going, come on, <laughs> <I> man. <know. laughs> so, why, you know, what was that decision process, and, and why do you why did you want to make this jump? The, the decision really started. You know, we had Richard Hanna that had represented the area up until 2016, and, and he retired. And and I always say, you know, at that point, I, I I thought a little bit about running for Congress sure. and decided not to. And then as time went on after that November 2016 election, I started to think about it a little bit more uh, and really talk to my wife, talk to our children, because we have two young children, about where the country is headed, what I am frustrated about what I, when I look at Washington, what I see in terms of some of the policy issues, health care taxes, and how I think it's more skewed to certain segments of the, of, the, of the country as opposed to people here in upstate New York. And I started to think a lot about uh, my upbringing growing up uh, after losing my mom, you know, one of the things that I always talk about on the campaign trail is how I had three older sisters who really stepped into the role. You know, my dad worked, worked full time. I had three older sisters who really stepped into the role of mom for me. Mm -hmm. uh, they were three and still are three strong women and taught me lots of great things growing up about, you know, the, the value of hard work and integrity. And the thing that would always would stick out in my mind growing up is uh, they would always say to me, Anthony, you can't be a bystander. You can't just sit back. If you see something wrong, you're supposed to do something about it. You know, they're probably using that lesson in, in terms of school growing up sure. and confronting bullies and people who may be hurting your friends. But that lesson really stuck in my head. And as I started to think about this election and running for Congress, I thought to myself, we've done some good things in the state assembly. There's a lot more I want to do. But I also see a lot wrong in the country and what's happening with our with our country right now. And I could either sit back uh, and be frustrated or I could actually do something about it. A lot of folks don't want to run for office because it's 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 not easy. It's not easy on sure. individuals, it's not easy on families. Your, so you have you have two two younger kids, right? right? How do you talk to them about what's going on, um, not just in in the in the country uh, because those those are important conversations to have but the thing that you're about to embark on and by default they're embarking on this journey with you too how right. do you how do you explain to them what's happening and uh, you know or or how do you explain to them what's going what may happen right my my children are they, they've kind of grown up through this whole world of public service, so they've 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 seen a lot of it. I, what's amazed me is how how informed they really are mm -hmm. about some of the issues, and, and I guess it's just children in general. Are, they're so much more informed than I was. My kids are seven and eleven years mm -hmm. old, and I don't think I was uh, uh, talking about who the Supreme Court right, nominee right, was. Right. But I had a conversation with my son about it on the way to school this morning because of, of what he's hearing out yeah. there. But I have to be amazed. They're, they're so resilient, and they and they really uh, have been great, even in the face of criticism. You know, on the TV when you see yeah, some of the ads that's that are being be run, really hard. It's tough. Fortunately, I, I because of all my my beef with the cable company, I canceled my cable <laughs> a long time ago, so we don't have to see a yeah. lot of that stuff. But it still does get on through YouTube and other. Yeah. You know other platforms, uh, so they see it. Uh, but th they're they're so educated, and they ask great questions. Mm -hmm. And we try to be we don't try to shelter them at all. We really just try to. Uh, be as upfront as possible, and if they have questions, we answer their questions, and we try and talk through whatever it may be, uh, whatever the issue may be. And the one thing I always tell my son, who's starting to get more and more uh, interested in history, about uh, about our country, is 
we, we can do great things in Congress. Congress has a terrible approval rating right now because no one works together to get big problems mm-hmm. tackled. And my son and I watched uh, the movie Lincoln. Yeah. And you know, the, the storyline is about the passage of the 13th mm-hmm. Amendment. And I try to use that as an example for him of something Congress can do to solve a, a major problem in this country when we work together. Congress has achieved great things over the course of our history, whether it's abolishing slavery, whether it's creating programs like Social Security and Medicare, uh, civil rights passage. These are things that Congress did and can do again if we have people there who can actually accomplish these kinds of goals. I guess to, to kind of keep on this, um, on, the, on the topic of the, of the campaign trail, how do you... Um, one of the things that I've always struggled with, and, and when I look at any anyone that's running for for public office, is how do you develop thick skin? I have notoriously <laughs> like I have thin skin. And I, how do you do that? Because I would it'd take me three hours, and I'd be like, fine, I'm not, I'm done. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. It's just something that's developed over a period of time, I guess. Um, y- you really have to have you have to have thick skin to do it because. I, I try to uh, use the analogy as you, you see these commercials out there and you see they're telling lies about you and you want to just like go outside in the street and start screaming and yelling. That's yeah. not true. It's not true. And it's almost like you, you have your, your hands tied behind your back and you're just getting punched in the face and you just can't react to it. Um, I, I really don't know what it is. I, I guess for me, um, possibly going through through law school, I'm, I'm, but people don't realize I'm actually a pretty introverted person. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of that was broken probably when I got to law school because it's sink or swim once you get into law school. And those first few weeks when you're there and you're asked to review cases and then brief them in front of a whole class of people who are strangers and then have a professor really dress you down if you haven't done your work or research. But the professor's not coming after <laughs> you personally True. True. and your family. Like that's, you know, there's a different set of stakes here and, and the semester ends. Right, that's know? true, that's true. Well, a, a lot of stuff, I, I guess, rolls off my back. I let, I, I try to really be uh, as as calm as possible, and sometimes I'm not. Look, I. I but is there an easy? Do you have a, a like? Do you have a thing that you do? You count that time. I mean, there's a. This is a thing that I feel like a lot of people need to, myself included, work on. And so, like, is there a methodology, or is it just like you got to go get your face kicked in for a while and you figure it out? I think you you kind of have to get your face kicked in for a little while and you figure it out, and you realize that if you're gonna if you do react. You, you're probably going to, just like reacting to something you see on social media, you're probably going to say the wrong thing and, and offend people. And, and I've been accused, and I have certainly have said things that I regret over mm-hmm. the years and wish I, I could take back. Uh, and we're all human, so people, uh, hopefully they recognize that. One of my biggest challenges is, is really trying, and, and the folks in my campaign uh, trying to push me away from this, is really looking at all the social media and some of the comments yeah, that are man. out there. And sometimes I will engage, <laughs> which I'm probably not supposed to do with mm-hmm. people who comment on but social was, media I was pages. surprised, too, that like, you know, I've seen uh, people uh, ask or tag you in posts, or like even when I reached out about the possibility of doing a podcast, you respond. Yeah. I did not expect that. <laughs> did not expect that. It's getting tougher and tougher I on bet. Facebook when, when we get so many messages. And I check everything and I look at everything that's coming in so I try to respond to everything my 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 biggest fear is not responding to somebody I just I'm 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 very obsessed with getting back to people and trying to work on Mm -hmm. whatever issue it is if it's someone reaching out for an interview or if it's a constituent who's contacting our office in my mind if I'm or people in my office are not responding I feel like I'm not doing my job Mm -hmm. and 
that's why I'm here. I'm here to help people. That's why I ran for office in the first place, because I like and enjoy helping people, because I, I love this community, and that's why I want to run for office, so I can help give back. And if you're not responding to people, you're not in it for the right reasons. You're in it for your own personal reasons, not for the good of the community. And then how do you deal with um, people that, that vehemently disagree with you? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, um, there's a there's a dialogue that has to happen. Right. Um, how do how do you like? There, I'm sure there's certain things that 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 you get messages from or or you get questions about that you fundamentally disagree with. Right. And that person is probably not going to change your mind. What do you do in that situation? I still try and sit down with people. I, I will have countless meetings over and over and, and try and listen to them and try and see where they're coming from and then express to them where I'm coming from. And sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree, and that's okay too. But I think you got to have that open line of communication, even with folks who disagree with you. And at least if you can't walk away with some kind of agreement, at least you're walking away with a mutual respect for one another that your, your issues were heard and you can agree to disagree and that's okay too. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll only have, uh, I only have a couple more, um, questions for you. Uh, but I think, I think they're, they're important ones. Um, can you talk about a, a moment so far in, in this, in this, um, uh, race or this, this journey that has, you know, a person you met or a story you've heard that's really affected you or, or stood out to you? There's a couple. Um, I'll tell you a funny one. Uh, yeah. there was a, there was a woman who, who reached out to our campaign. Um, who, it was an elderly lady. I just heard this one recently. So this is why it sticks out. There was an elderly woman who reached out to our campaign. Our, one of our volunteers knocked on her door and uh, they asked if she would consider voting for, for me. And she said, oh, yeah, when, when I was in the grocery store one day, he let me skip him in line, so I'm going to vote for him. <laughs> and, I, and I just love that story. There's another one where a woman reached out and said, um, this is, she, she got under this tax cut, she got $17. That was her tax cut mm -hmm. under this tax bill. And her boss actually asked her, what are you doing with that $17? And she said, thankfully, I'm donating it to Anthony Brindisi for Congress. And I always tell that story and we get <laughs> lots of applause. But there's also very personal stories that, that people will tell me. And one that, that sticks out a lot in the campaign is I was down in uh, Tioga County, which is at the southern end of the district. And a father came up to me and he was telling me about his son who had this very rare uh, immune deficiency and how he has to get this medication, which is thousands of dollars. And if he doesn't take the medication, he gets pneumonia, uh, you know, six, seven times a year. He's in and out of the hospital. He can't work. But once the Affordable Care Act passed, he was able to get on Medicaid expansion, uh, get insurance to pay for his prescription, which then enabled him to not get pneumonia anymore. Mm -hmm. And then he went out and got a job, and he was working at a local grocery store, uh, uh, earning a living and giving back. Uh, his father was so fearful, this was around the time when they were trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act, that that would happen. And his biggest fear was, our son only has my wife and myself. And if something happens to us, he's on his own. And if he's on his own and there's no insurance for him, he could likely die. And that was his biggest fear, and he conveyed that story to me. And I said, this is, this is why I'm fighting. This is why I'm running for office, because I want to help people like this against uh, big, powerful special interest groups who are fighting to take away people's health insurance. Are there ever situations where you hear a story like that or um, uh, 
I, I, I was I was actually at a, a, a town hall of yours, and I, I think there was a gentleman who um, had a very personal concern, uh, but it seemed to be very not not necessarily policy decision. It was like I I just need help. Yeah. How do you how do you uh, are there situations where you know there's there's not a thing that you personally can do, and this is not an issue based? Right. How do you what do you do with that? Well, that's one example. We had we had another example of that last night uh, when we did a town hall at, at the uh, DeSale Center. There was a gentleman who had a, an issue. It was very specific to him mm-hmm. at our town hall meeting. And I always say, look, I, I'd like to talk to you afterwards because mm-hmm. this, this is a pretty personal issue to you. It may not affect everybody in the room, but let's sit down. I want to get your information, try and do a little research and find out how we can help. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times we can help. Um, sometimes we can, sometimes we can but at least we're trying, and mm-hmm. there may be larger policy issues that need to be worked on to try and address his concern, or maybe it's just something where we can reach out to a, a state or federal agency to try and work on the issue. Two more questions. Sure. One, um, one of the things that I'm, I'm fascinated by, and, and you may not have an answer to this question, but I, I'm very curious what your thoughts are. There seems to be a thing, like you've been talking about not taking um, PAC money and, 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 I, and that's been, I think, a central theme of, of your campaign. Yep. And I feel like there seems to be a thing that happens like when you get down there, everyone, I think, I don't think that there's a person with a few exceptions that, <laughs> that wins that doesn't really have good intentions right. when, when they take on a public service role. But there's something that happens. How do you prevent that thing from happening, whether that's money creeping in or, or kind of losing touch Richard has talked about it, and it's like a, I don't know, it's like osmosis for some people. Right. I think if you can, it's up to the individual. If you if you want to let that thing happen, I guess you can let that thing happen and become a part of that. I always felt that Richard never let that thing happen. I agree. You know, he went down there. He's a very independent person. I talked to him multiple times a week about this campaign uh, and, and, and get advice from him on how he conducted himself as a member of Congress and things that he think are that he thinks are important in this district. He didn't let that happen to him. He stayed independent. Uh, sometimes you have to be willing to sometimes take uh, some some pushback from your party, and and that's okay. As long as you have in the back of your mind, at the end of the day, the people that put me here are the people back home, and that's who I owe my allegiance to is those folks. As long as you can keep that in the center of your mind. Uh, and not worry about what the people down in Washington are saying. And sometimes you're going to have to work against them, and, and that's that's not a problem. When you do that, or if you have to do that, does that also you also run the risk of then kind of um, them not putting you in a position to succeed too? Like right. There seems to be like there's this kind of give and take. And you know, Richard, I think was someone that um, there were certain things that I agreed with him with, and certain things I disagreed with him with. But man, he conducted himself. Um, I think with a lot of dignity. He did. He know? did. And that's what I, that's how I want to behave when I'm in Washington because at, at the end of the day, you're coming home to your family and those are the ones you got to yeah. look in your face and your constituents. There's ways to still be effective even when you stand up against your party. You know, I can, I, there's been examples of my time in Albany where I, I've been told, particularly around issues surrounding public education, you know, a few years ago when the governor was trying to pass a lot of reforms that would put more testing in the classroom, and I was opposed to that. And there was a bill that ultimately passed, but I voted against. But I was brought into a room and say, we need you to vote for this. This is important to the governor. And I said, no, I'm not voting for this. Mm-hmm. This is bad for people that I represent back home. And there's always fear of what's going to happen. Um, and the, the thing I have, the thing that we do have going for us now is uh, 
because of media and social media and all the different platforms out there, there's ways to fight back against backroom politics that try and punish people. And if someone tries to punish me, I'm not going to be quiet about it. I'm going to call it out. And hopefully they'll see that that's something that people don't agree with and they'll do what's what's right. So I'm always going to do the right thing and try and do what's best for the folks in this district, but also people in the whole country. You know, in, so every day is probably uh, an insane, insane day for you. Do you have any things that um, just in your own personal life, whether that's, you know, inside the campaign, outside the campaign, that you do some routines or things that, that ground you or um, that may help other people that are, are struggling with, you know, their business or stress? Or are there any go-to tactics that you have that keep you centered? For me, and it's probably personal for every everybody, but for me, I, I, I run. Okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's something that I enjoy doing. It's something I do uh, multiple times a week, and it's it's just a few miles. I'm not a marathon runner or anything like that, but it certainly helps me kind of clear the mind. There's no phone, worrying about uh, texts or uh, emails. Mm-hmm. It's just me out there kind of going through the thoughts in my head. Is and, that in the morning? In the morning, yeah. yeah. Get up in the morning, do that for a half hour, 45 mm-hmm. minutes, and then get on with my day. That kind of helps clear my mind. Uh, and then sometimes you know, in the afternoon, I'll just I'll try and take a break uh, from phone calls or the, the emails and just kind of sit in a room, relax, close my eyes for a few minutes, and just, and just kind of decompress. When's your day end? Typically around nine. Right now, it's probably around nine, ten o'clock at night. Sometimes later, depending on where I am in the district. If I'm down in Binghamton, I'm sure. driving home. We can get home midnight. <laughs> cool. um, well, I appreciate your time. Thanks. I know you've got a ton of stuff going on, but um, thanks a lot for, for for answering some of these questions that may not be policy, but I think are important nonetheless. I appreciate so, it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, thanks a lot, Ryan. Man, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. So that was my conversation with Anthony Brindisi. If you want to know more about him or dig into some of the policy or get some more. Uh, just information about his run, you can get that at brindisiforcongress.com uh, or any of his social media channels. And uh, I'm really, really grateful for the uh, for the time that he, that he gave me for this interview. Uh, and, and for all of you out there that are uh, um, uh, are in the district, you know, I hope you do your research and uh, and make an informed decision this November. Um, and but even more importantly, register to vote. If you're not registered to vote, you have until, I think in New York, it's October 10th or 12th, somewhere around there. You have a couple of weeks to do this. So make sure that you're registered uh, to, to vote in the state of New York. And then after you've registered to vote, or if you're already registered to vote, if you're if you're you know picking up what I'm putting down here, uh, consider signing up for my monthly-ish email newsletter at rustbeltstartup.com, uh, where I share uh, some interview recaps, excerpts of things that didn't make the podcast, and and in general links or articles that I think are super interesting and worthy of your time. Uh, and and if you feel so compelled, leave me uh, leave me a review on the iTunes podcast uh, app. Or, um, or give, give me five stars. Do, do one of those two things. Or both. Or both. And uh, hopefully you'll be back in another two weeks for another episode of Rust Belt Startup. Be good.